thank you for listening to another episode of the Business of Fun podcast. Today is episode 14, and my guest is a good one. It is Amir Zanozi. He is the Chief Strategy Officer at Zoomf. Zoomf is a DC-based uh, digital organization that focuses on data, fan engagement, and helping people and organizations draw insights about data and turn them into actions, turn them into insights, and turn them into audience engagement. I guess it's probably the best way I can put it. Um, we had a really great conversation, and we talked about a load of stuff. Uh, we talked about the Roger Federer deal with Uniqlo. We talked about GDPR. We talked about uh, Portuguese soccer. We talked about the English Premier League. Uh, we talked about um, you know cleaning data, using data, um, you know using data to make sponsorship decisions. Uh, sharing things publicly, listening, social listening, social authentication, um, scraping. I mean, kind of like got all over the place. It's like a much deeper conversation on data than I have typically had. Um, I thought it was great. I probably am not giving Amir enough credit, um, but I think you're going to dig this episode. So let me get out of the way and let's listen to me and Amir. Hey, Amir, welcome to the Business of Fun podcast. What's happening? Dave, thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, no, this is great. We haven't had a chance to catch up in a while, so what better way to do it than on a podcast? Yes, recorded for everyone to hear. <laughs> That's right. So like we hem and haw, talk about kids and all these things. It'll be uh, for everybody's uh, listening pleasure, I guess. <laughs> That's fantastic. No, I, I'm really excited. I've been listening to some of the other episodes, and I'm uh, honored to be here. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate everybody listening. Um, but let's get now that we got all the pleasantries out of the way. Let's talk about some data, because I know that you and I have known each other for a little or for a while now. And one of the things that was really cool about what you and Zoom are doing was you were, had, had really cool ways to visualize and explain uh, fan engagement data to your partners. Yet when we were uh, discussing having you on the podcast, you start, told me that you've actually taken the fan engagement data and just turned it into data and using data as a way to help drive revenue and explore, uh, have a better understanding of your audience. Is that kind of accurate or am I way off base? No, you nailed it. I mean, we really first initially started on the engagement side, uh, you know, as simple as, you know, we actually started as a product that uh, assisted the State Department. So we did things like for President Obama, put tweets on a wall, you know, just very simple social wall stuff. And over time, we did more and more fun projects um, and we started getting involved in sports and entertainment. So you go to the Redskins, you tweet HTTR, you Instagram it, what have you. It goes to the visuals. It's fun. You see your content on there. Uh, we have an entire system around that. But what we realized was we're capturing a lot of data as we're doing this, and that could help teams really better understand how to engage their fans. You know, one of the biggest issues that, uh, you know, teams face is they don't know exactly who their fans are. And, uh, you know, we were kind of talking about how teams are, are starting to get more and more aware of this. They're having this awakening, Dave. And they're realizing, look, they're not all just Washington national fans. They're not all just one team fans. There's segments within the population. It's an audience of audiences, if you will. And so what we're trying to do now is really understand 
what comprises of these groups? Who are these groups? What's the demographics behind this, right? Like, you know, this might be someone that's been a fan their entire life. This might be someone from a different city that's moved in. You know, what's the difference between someone that's a season ticket holder, their social media behavior, and what's the difference between someone that just came to one or two games an entire year? So it's 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 really opened up where we do have the engagement side, uh, which is very important. You still need to make it fun, sexy, uh, engaging. You need to have that dynamic appeal to fans to keep them engaged. And you want to use that as a way to get them to share data and then collect from it. Uh, so it's it's really grown over the ways. You know, we'll always be growing and adapting to the environment. Social media is just such a uh, volatile space, which is awesome. Keeps you on your toes, as you know. And uh, it's it's been really fun just, you know, growing with teams as we've been doing it. Yeah, what was interesting about that was that you talked about the audience of audiences. And I think that we all recognize that there aren't as many mass market products and services and things anymore. And I think that if you listen to a lot of the sports business commentary or a lot of the, the TV executives, they'll talk about it as if it's a big moving blob of people. Right. Uh, the TV, you know. The TV viewer is just a TV viewer. Yet everything that we we seem to know um, that you know, how do I want to put it? Um, um, you know, it goes against our experience, right? What what do my lying eyes tell me? Is that you know everybody's not the same. So this audience of audience concept is really really interesting to me. And yeah. you know, I'm kind of curious. How do you break that down and show that to your teams? Because I think really. If we're being honest, so many of them fall back on the crutch that I just have one big moving audience, and maybe right. they are there's premium buyers, and then there's everybody else. You know, how do you show the difference, and like how do you make it sort of meaningful and actionable for people? Yeah, no, that that's a fantastic question, and uh, you know, this podcast is a great example of it, Dave. I mean, you, you are the revenue art- architect; you're the guru behind revenue and ticketing, and and you've got audiences all around the world. You know, you have a, a big audience in France, you've got a big audience in Australia, and then you also have college and professional teams here. You also work with businesses like American Express. So the way you talk to each one of those different groups is totally different, but they're all focused around revenue, aren't we all? Though, but um, but and how you target them and how you speak to them and uh, you know you're using different ways to connect to their KPIs to connect to their goals of what they want and it's really the same with audiences and fans in sports uh, you know your the demographic composition of your audience changes over time and where those audiences are located so one is uh, we. You know, our platform, it provides social media information. We also get some first party data as well that were, you know, first name, last name, email. And we connect that to like CRM. So, you know, you know, there's data that fans have or I'm sorry, the teams have already, you know, regarding their current CRM. Uh, in the U.S., sometimes it's not as uh, the data might not as is as clean. They might not have an entire data warehouse yet. But most teams at least have that information just from their ticketing solutions and platforms. What they don't have as much is connecting the social handle to those uh, first-party data entities. So what we're kind of doing here is we're looking at the social conversations in regards to teams, and we're kind of breaking them up in in a number of different ways. One is each each social platform has their different metrics, as you know. So uh, Twitter, for example, and Instagram, they've got geolocation data. So 
Now, it's got to be shared publicly, you know, by the fans as they're sharing content, but they might use a certain team hashtag, if you will, and they might share their location. Usually, if it's a big game, you know, people will. If it's politics, not so much. You know, we work in a lot of different verticals, but uh, team sports, you know, usually people share that. And each sport in each league, it's different with the different um, apprehensities that they have towards sharing GPS data and whatnot. But a lot of times you look at Instagram, it's a geolocation platform. You just share the photo first. So if people are sharing from it. You can know that they're actually in the stadium. They're sharing from the engagement of being there themselves. And you can differentiate that from people that are not actually at that event. That's one way that's very simple that you can look at. Like what's the difference of people watching the game from in the stadium or, or the venue itself versus outside. Uh, And then there's other ones, too. Like, do they have the team's name in the bio? Like, how much of it? What accounts do they follow? Do they follow just your team? Do they follow other teams from the city? Are they following multiple teams from the league? If that's so, maybe they're a journalist. Maybe they're just a fan of the sport or they're reporting on it. Not exactly a fan of that exact team. Um, you know, do they mention the team? Do they interact with the post? What is their sentiment? So is it positive? Is it negative? And you can make those distinctions. And, you know, always when you work with sentiment, you're going to want to personalize it in some way. Uh, each team is going to have different phrases and terminology that'll work well with it. But, uh, we look at all these different endpoints and how people interact with the content that's coming from the teams. And we use that to better understand, um, you know, what different types of people are there? And then in Zoom, uh, this is not something you can readily get on social media. We, we're doing some data on top of it. We're doing data enrichment where we look for certain social media behaviors. So uh, some of the things that I mentioned, is it in the bio? Do they talk about it? Where is the geolocation from? And then from those little different endpoints that we're pulling in, we can create like social footprints. And based off those footprints, you can identify certain things. So if they have SVP, if they have CEO, if they have uh, any C-level executive title in their bio, you can probably label this person as a business executive or a decision maker in their organization. That's just one thing. So like looking at like the different people that are engaging with your content as a team And how can you group those people up based off these footprints? So when we work with teams, we look for certain entities like that. Uh, We've got like 200 definitions that we've created on our own, but each team has different ones that they really are interested in. For example, you know, how can you track, uh, you know, different demographics? Are you appealing to a Latino community if you're an MBA and that's a focus point that you're trying to grow with? Or, you know, how are different uh, uh, demographics appealing to this content? Then you can use that information also for sponsorships, right? So if you've got a certain, uh, you know, brand that is looking to target a certain demographic, Showing these like showing this information and aligning to it is, is is a new way of kind of connecting with these brands to let them know that you're the best team they that they should be spending money with. Um, you know, I don't want to drone on too much about that, but it, it, does that kind of resonate? It's 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 looking at the different ways of how social media can drive to the bottom dollar as far as looking at a backwards approach of look at the audience, look at the engagement, and then how do I align that audience to our sponsors that we could use to create great opportunities for revenue? Yeah, no, it makes sense to me, and it opens up a whole bunch of questions. And this is one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on is because I'm no, I'm no data skeptic. But what I do, and, this is, and so there's probably like three or four questions that came out of the, the answer you just gave. 
And and so to start one start with, I'm not a data skeptic, but what I do question is how everybody throws around big data. And yep. when you were talking about demographics, you were saying how the data in the states most of the time is not clean, which brought to me mind two things for me, which is that number one, uh, as much uh, consternation and as, um, heartburn as it gave people in Europe, the GDPR oh, seems yeah. like a great idea because mm-hmm. I know in America we talk about it like we should be fearful of some kind of data control. Yet you're telling me, at least I think, that something like GDPR would actually be extremely valuable because it forces you to clean up your data and make it useful or at least meaningful. Yeah, that fantastic question there. Uh, so you're absolutely right, Dave. So GDPR, uh, and, and I assume most of the fans know, is an issue that was put in place recently uh, you know, by the European Union to make sure that it's a, it's a privacy-first policy where you're collecting data with the consent that the fan is or, or the person that is providing you that information is aware that you have it. And one, you know, yeah, if you're dealing with European organizations, you already have GDPR in place. And if you don't, you really should. It's a really important initiative. You can be fined or, or you can get in a lot of trouble for not having that in, in the right order. But two, in the U.S., you might not be required to do this yet, but you eventually will. All the legal and the environment and everything that's kind of looking towards point to that. And most of the organizations that we work with, even though it only affects European citizens, it's a lot easier to just apply this as a world approach. So uh, you can't say one person's data is worth more than another person's data. You got to kind of equalize that. But what you were harping on, which is really important, is this process, one, Yes, it gives a lot of people heartburn because it requires you to be very organized and very efficient with the type of data that you have. Uh, But put that aside, that harder path is actually the optimal path. You want that data as clean as possible. A lot of times people enter contests. They throw emails in there. They throw fake names in there. You might have a lot of dirty data uh, within your CRM, within your database. A lot of times what we're doing, actually, we we spot that through some of the campaigns that we do. Uh, a lot of times we'll do contests, giveaways, and part of it, we have a social authentication piece. And what we're asking people to do is sign up through Facebook, sign up through Twitter. And by doing so, they're giving consent for us to pull that information. So it's, it's a, one, it's a privacy first approach and it may, ensures that you're collecting clean data and there's full consent behind is uh, you'll see this big trend with social platforms with uh, com- um, what's the right term? It's, I, I think it's uh, demanded consent or explicit consent. So, uh, but you're, you're providing consent, you know, through the engagements that you're doing. But two is when you're mapping first name, last name, and email to social handle. There's other data points that you could use to sort of match to see who's who and who's got the correct information. So this is all important stuff, and you're absolutely right. GDPR. Uh, if you haven't made that move yet, it should be something that you should just be getting ready for. Nonetheless, it's a great approach to making sure you've got clean data. Yeah. And when you brought up the social authentication uh, process, right, which is privacy first policy. But it also reminds me because I don't necessarily want to assume that my audience is as um, tech savvy as maybe you and I are. They're probably in some cases, they're, they're definitely most a lot of them are going to be more tech-savvy than I am in some of these cases. But it sounds when you combine the social authentication, 
along with the, some of the data enrichment programs that you're doing, is that basically you've taken another practice that I think maybe gets some, sometimes get a bad rap, but you're taking scraping to like a higher, uh, more useful level. Or am I wrong when I make that connection? So, so yes and no, right? So by most of these organizations, they'll have first name, last name, and email, and they'll use that to sort of identify purchasing patterns, uh, attendance patterns, stuff like that. But there's a whole different element to uh, that information that you're not collecting, and that's through social media. So it's sort of like black and white when you're looking at you know first party data that you've already collected. But the color is applied once you have that social media because now you can see personality. Now you can see sentiment. They might show up at the game, but they're there for the other team, right? So do they always show up whenever Dallas is in town? Why is that? What's going on there? They're fans of Dallas. You might be able to see some of these patterns just from the attendance in itself. But seeing their sentiment and seeing their conversations and understanding why are they there? What are they appealed to? What are they sharing when they're there? Um, But by asking through it, through social consent and telling them, and there's rules that have been updated in place now to make it more uh, complicit where they're saying, you know, hey, by connecting to this, you're giving your first name, your last name, and your email. Now, Facebook has removed the capabilities for you to pull like, you know, the friends list, the other information, like all that stuff now has to be. Um, explicitly added in a way that fans know what information they're providing. So they're making that approach easier for teams to pull that information and making it more clear so that there's no distinction between what kind of data that you're pulling. But, um, you know, by pulling from those two different databases, one, you get that information that you can use all your other tracking and information that you have. But two, from social, it opens up this entire element where you can say, okay, if we're looking for a grocer sponsor, um, I can have some information, the first name, last name, and email, but I won't know that they follow this specific grocery store if they all follow Whole Foods. And then you can start making other uh, implications from this, you know, from a Whole Food customer. Are they also vegetarian? Do they say things around that? Maybe our food vendors need to have more vegetarian options. So, like, there, there's this entire wealth of data that's just not being touched by teams right now. Some of the more advanced teams are getting into this by collecting the social media information. But um, by connecting both of those entities together, Dave, you're really opening up uh, a wealth of knowledge of understanding not only who your fans are, what are the other things that they talk about when you're not in the room, when you're not – because these fans are complex people just like you and I, and they have other interests other than sports, believe it or not. And so how do we connect to them in a lifestyle way? How do we relate to them where they feel the team just gets us? They understand who we are. Uh, how do you make a playlist without even asking your fans what kind of music that they're into just based off the patterns of behavior that they're publicly putting out there. Um, you know, when you make these types of connections, uh, the fan engagement goes through the roof. Yeah, that's like, and that's like the way you ex- have explained everything has been really, you know, I know for me who pre- I pretend to not be very tech savvy, but um, all the time, I think it's probably very helpful for people. And most of I know most of this is focused on the U.S. market, but something that you told me before we got on, we started recording, which I think is very interesting to my audience because it comes kind of from all over the place, is that you and Zoom just signed up the Portuguese national soccer team, and you're working yeah, with the them. Yeah, the FPF. Yeah. 
Yeah, no. So they're running tons of campaigns right now. And what they're trying to do is, uh, of course, GDPR compliant, compliant, oh my gosh, it's so hard to say, compliant activations. And what they're doing is they're marrying the social data and first party data together so that when they're sending email campaigns, it resonates. Uh, we did this campaign uh, very similar to the FPF uh, with Nationwide here in the U.S., if, if that helps as an example. And Nationwide, uh, they, they, of course, sponsored NASCAR teams. And we did a campaign with uh, Paws Racing. And basically, you can upload a picture of your pet for a chance to have that pet uh, on the back of a race car during a race. Uh, so it was Alex Bowman's car and they promoted this thing on social with ads. They promoted it on TV with a commercial, uh, during the race. And so basically, you know, nationwide, what they want to know is there's fans here that are dog lovers, cat lovers, iguana lovers, even, uh, and same thing with FPF, same thing with every team, right? Their fans have a lot of different interests. They're very, you can segment them in multiple ways. And so with this one case, for example, they're uploading it. They're giving consent uh, for a chance to win, to have their pet on the back of the car. What an awesome experience, right? Well, by doing that, now Nationwide knows not only what kind of pet do you have, right? They know that you're a NASCAR fan. They know that you're a pet owner. So that when they do Facebook ads, when they do email blasts, they're not saying, hey, pet owner, right? Check out this uh, pet insurance program that we have. One, they're doing a couple of things. One, they see if you're a client or not already. If you are a client, they're updating that with the most relevant information that you just provided. If not, uh, they will now add you to their database, and they now know that you're new, that you're not someone that's a previous customer before. And then two, they can send two different ads to two different people. One is to dog lovers. One is to cat owners, right? So depending on what type of pet that you have. So when we work with FPF or we work with any of these other teams, we try to find these different avenues of how can we segment these groups into more, uh, you know, smaller niches where when you speak to them, when you reach out to them, when you have Facebook ads, these ads are, are connecting to them on a deeper level as far as just, hey, pet owner, hey, fan of the team, hey, NASCAR watcher, right? So it's, it's, it's finding these ways of how to connect best with them. And, uh, you know, we were talking about Portugal and, and Europe and how far advanced they are in, in, in leagues like the Premier League when it comes to this data because they're creating data warehouses right now. And they're marrying the ticket data. They're marrying the social data. They're taking all the information that they have and putting it together in a way where the entire organization is benefiting from this. Because, you know, we're talking about social media data, and I bet a lot of the listeners are like, well, that's marketing's problem. No, that's that's value that can provide benefits to every organization within the team itself, from ticketing, from social, um, you know, as far as from customer service, you know, if people are complaining about long lines and we can bring in those search terms and provide that value of one where even the geolocation of that data is coming from for them to pinpoint where issues are starting. I mean, this is this is all a wealth of information that can benefit the entire organization. So what Europe has done and the trend is and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of planning a, a wide you know paintbrush stroke here, but the European teams, they're a little bit more advanced when it comes down to this collecting this type of data and activating this type of data in ways that benefits the entire organization. Yeah. And it, it's good be, that you brought it up, how it is using this data and having this engagement and all of these different touch points. Um, 
place to everybody because as you were talking, I was thinking about how often this kind of data and this kind of engagement and this all these things that you we've been discussing so far get lumped into marketing. marketing right? It's just marketing's problem, like you said. But to me, it sounds like it's not. It is just not just marketing's problem. It sounds like obviously customer service is to me the best form of marketing that you have in a lot of cases. But more importantly, it ties into your ability to sell tickets. And I know that this is big a big thing that I talk about a lot, which is the ability to get your fans in the door, right? right. And this is a, a challenge for everybody. Despite what you're telling me with your with the attendance numbers that you're rolling out, all you got to do is look at Sports Center, and I see that people aren't at games. Then they're not at games a lot, um, you know. So using this kind of data and activating it is just really a wise step for the sales team to take, you know. And when you use the example of the Premier League, I say it all the time. There's two teams that, and the one is Manchester United, and I know them because I did some research when I was going to give a talk in Europe, um, probably about a year ago. But the other one that I see do it very, very well are Tottenham, the Hotspurs. And I know that because I see my credit card bill each month after I, they have targeted me with something and I buy it. Um, right. <laughs> and, you know, so it's like really, um, you know, to me it's very, it is, it makes sense. It's very meaningful. And it seems to me like a missed opportunity because the thing is, is like if you don't use this data in a way that creates impact and allows you to know your audience better and do more with them, you're losing generations of fans. You're losing, you know, you're, you're, because I guess we can see that customers are demanding experiences and in sports, especially we have unique experiences every day. Right. And so to not capitalize on that is really a missed opportunity. And it's like, you're throwing away your competitive advantage. So absolutely. I think what I want to ask you then is like knowing that like you've, you know, you've, you focus a lot on the data now and earlier on you used to focus on engagement. And I know you had some really great, examples from back in the day of using uh, social media and social engagement to draw, draw people, fans into the stadium earlier. Um, but do you have some examples or some tools or ideas that maybe would apply to the salespeople, you know, as like how they could use some of this data to actually sell, sell tickets or, you know, draw more people into the games and stadiums? Yeah, no, that, that's a fantastic question, Dave. And, and, you look at some of the platforms that are doing very well today, right? Facebook, Instagram, and you look at the different data endpoints that they have on every one of us by how we engage. You know, they look at how long you leave a post on. If you look at every Instagram or Facebook post, it basically takes up the entire space of your smartphone right now. They are even counting how long you wait on some of those posts to even know that, okay, Dave didn't actually like the post. He didn't comment on the post, but he was watching the video for at least 30 seconds. So like when you're doing sales and and believe me, Facebook and Instagram, they're sales platforms. There's a reason why you and I are converting very highly on both those platforms and why they're doing so well publicly trading because they're they're making a lot of money and it's pay to play, right? So organic on Facebook is pretty much dead right now and I'm, I'm sure every team can attest to that. Uh, but for those in sales, for those looking to create revenue streams, you know, um, and getting creative with this, it's looking into that social data, looking into 
how can I connect with these fans in a deeper way? What are these different data endpoints that we can connect with to better understand how do we get butts in seats? And a lot of that is just basically from the data that they're putting out there right now. Like, uh, you know, for example, you look at like the Miami Dolphins and how they created that club like nightlife atmosphere in the stadium. You know, it's they. You know, one, you can kind of tell what the sense of Miami and, and those are the types of things that people from that city are into. But how can you look deeper into your audiences and looking at their social media behavior to understand what are some things that we're not resonating with? What are some things we're not connecting to that they're telling us through the data that we're just simply not picking up? Because those signals are being pushed and you're just not receiving them because you're not looking for them. And there's ways for you to understand, like, you know, how what kind of events can we start doing that can can we start applying to to understand like you know this is a great way for us to connect uh i know the georgetown hoyas and washington nats just did some sort of uh you know georgetown alumni event but uh, you can look at this data right now and understand like how many people in their bio has georgetown or alumni uh or any mix of the two from people that follow the, the team and how can we find these different engagements or different data points where we understand you know these are the interests of the client so another way is uh looking at the data so you know, we work with some teams that we work with their corporate sponsorship teams and we look at how can we make revenue from the audiences that we're engaging with right now. And a lot of that is doing this backwards approach that I kind of referenced earlier is like looking at an audience analysis of the sponsors and understanding what are their demographics that they're displaying and then how can we map ours to them or look at competitively the other entertainment values that are or entities that are in your same cities that are competing for attention and understand what's gravitating towards each so that you know what are your uh, notes that you can play that would connect well with your audiences. So it, it's kind of a mix of def, uh, a, a bunch of those. Uh, I'll, I'll give a high-level example of, of a campaign that we did. Um, it's a little bit international where – uh, you know, there was a certain beverage company that was looking to make an impact in Africa and they wanted to uh, introduce this new um, drink that they had to these new markets. And they wanted to introduce this with retired soccer players, football players. And so what we did was we did and they had a list of players that they were looking at. So we looked at uh, beer drinking and their interest in these different companies, or I'm sorry, in these different countries. You know, what is the affinity towards beer based off the social media behavior that we're getting from the geolocation from the different countries that are coming? And then we looked at all of these different um, athletes, these football players that are retired, and we looked at each one of their audiences and saw which one had the highest affinity towards drinking as well with beer. And so you can start mapping their favorite players and the ones that have the highest affinity to beer. So we're doing a couple matches here, right? But you can strategically do marketing insights and in, in research before you even launch the campaign to know which athlete would do best with which market. And then you align it to the avenue of the partner that you're bringing into this. So say, for example, you're bringing uh, your athletes like the NFL does over to uh, England and they want to promote these London games. Well, which athletes do you marry together in, in these different campaigns? You look at their audiences and you look at which match the most equally towards one another. So you match these two target audiences together. It's the same thing with uh, for teams here 
that are looking to bring in partners and sponsors towards engagements, like look at the data, match these together, and you can orchestrate campaigns with success before you even launch them by knowing who you're talking to before uh, and who you're targeting to get into the door uh, through that through these different engagements. So I, I, I kind of want to switch like you know how people look at social media data is like oh people sharing their lunch. Um, one, you should know what they're sharing their lunches for because you should be creating you know food and options for them based off what they like and enjoy so that they would have a great time at the stadium. But two is is, is look at the social media as uh, a focus group without even having to ask the questions. People are giving you these answers. Look at the data that they're providing and understand what is every obstacle that is stopping them from entering the stadium? How can I remove that before they even walk through the door? So when they get here, they're having the best optimal experience. Your fans are talking, whether you're in the room or not. It's up to you to go in there and collect that information so that you can make uh, strategic decisions using that data to give the optimal experience. Yeah, no, that, um, I mean, there's, there's so much here. Um, the first thing was the example you used with beer and football players in Africa reminds me of all the conversation that's going on about the Roger Federer and Uniglo deal that, you know, just got announced, I think, this week, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, but the, the more important thing, even, you know, like Trump's that, is that when you start talking about, like, people having conversations and using the data in a, in a more wise way, it's another thing that I harp on. Here is that I feel like less so internationally, more so in the states, is that people are using data as a tool to con- to make their decisions for them, as opposed to using it as a tool to test hypothesis. And at least the way it sounds like to me, using the data the way you're talking about is like you're not you're you're really are able to test some hypothesis about what people want and don't want because they're already telling you. Without you even having to test it, you just have to be uh, wise enough to pay attention to what they're telling you. Is that, or am I way off base? No, you're, you're absolutely right, Dave. I mean, you can read a sentence and you can read it in a number of different ways based off the 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 ways that you're you're pronouncing it. That this might be a terrible metaphor, but th- there's different ways that if you're looking at just the data and you're looking at a pure sentence, and someone says, uh, you know. I, I don't I, I, this terrible example, but th- there's different ways of like there's something that you're not picking up by just looking at the data inputs. You've got to position this in a number of different ways and you got to put the lab coat on and think like a scientist. How can I introduce different variables that get the most out of this formula? And if you're not testing what different variables are going in, if you don't have some sort of constants that you're applying these to, you're you're missing out on opportunities that you might have not known that are right there in front of you. And so it's looking at this data and understanding, like for example, with that uh, ex- nationwide example, they did an audience analysis. They did not say like, hey, let, we want to help our pet insurance program. Yeah, that's a focus of nationwide, right? But they looked at the data specifically towards this team and realized there's a lot of dog owners here. Well, let's let's explore this. Let's see what other things that we can get out of this. We didn't say just send us a picture of your dog. We said send us a picture of your pet. Now they have all this uh, insight into all the different types of pets these people have, which you might be thinking like why me as a team owner do I care about what types of pets these people have? Well, you can connect with them on such a deeper level on, on all the ways. And any team uh, you know, uh, employee knows – 
you know, pets uh, and babies, you know, they always kill it on social. But by sharing this information, you're, you're understanding a lot of different things. And uh, there's this one story that you're probably familiar with, Dave, maybe maybe some of your uh, your audiences as well. But uh, Target uh, predicted a pregnancy and it was discovered by the dad unintentionally uh, where they were sending ads to the home uh, of the pregnant daughter. And he didn't know his daughter was pregnant. But because of her purchasing habits, Target predicted this is somebody who's pregnant because she was buying pre- pre- uh, prenatal care. She was buying all the different uh, you know, social footprint or I'm sorry, not social footprint, all the footprint behavior of this is somebody who's pregnant. She was doing those actions. So they were sending pregnancy ads that went and complained and he was upset and, uh, you know, Target apologized. But they were saying, look, you know, the reason why she got these ads is because she was doing all these different actions and that triggered our sensors to kind of apply this. Well, your fans are doing the same things. It's, it's just sort of understanding this, you know, and, and some of these stores, they're doing a number of different things, understanding their target audience, right? So they've got, uh, routers. They've people have got the app from uh, the store itself. They're pinging it across the different uh, beacons that they have to understand where are people in certain stores. How long are they staying in certain aisles? You can translate all of these different strategies, different verticals are doing, and apply this to sports as well and ticketing. We're understanding where are people, uh, you know, acquiring, um, you know food from where are they you know where are they spending are they going to a certain uh, fan store are they you know what are they doing while they're at the stadiums all of this is different ways for us to kind of better understand them and so um you know it's it it's using these different examples you know social data is just one of the different buckets of data that you should be using to you know make these different hypotheses but uh you bring up some really great points where you you need to be exploring this data um i, I you know i i foresee teams very soon having on staff data scientists that are constantly running these data through these different experiments to better understand, you know, how do we better connect with these fans? You know, they're not doing it today, but uh, if if you really want to get ahead, that's the direction that you want to go in is not just look at your actions and your activity, but looking at your entire leagues. How do you compare against them? You know, like how do you compare against the different uh, teams in your same city. There's a number of different ways uh, of applying this and, and re-architecting this to understand how your fans index against the variables that you care about. Yeah, no, th- and, and it's, um, again, like really, to me it's really interesting because, and I think that probably where my, my point is going to come is that you, you have all this data, you can teach people how to look at it, you can teach people to be more thoughtful with it. And I think Number one, we have to train people on doing that, being more smarter about how they think and view and use data. And then number two is like telling them that like even though you have access to the data, you still need to think like a human. And I think part of the problem that I see when I talk to people, not necessarily you, but other people when they talk about data, is that it, it becomes a robotic thing and it just like squeezes a lot of the life out of it. You know, and that, and that's really to me like one of the biggest challenges because you know, using the target example, right? We do know how to connect with people really personally. Sometimes it could go a little astray, but we can still do it. And to, you know, just do it by rote so that it becomes something like, hey, I know that I can charge somebody $16 for a beer um, and get away with it. That's a bad use of all this information. 
by connecting with somebody and being like, well, I know that they like these, 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 and th- this, 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 and this. And then all of a sudden you start uh, providing them like a, uh, you know, DC brow if you're at Nats Park because, you know, your audience is really big fans of DC brow. That's a more human approach and that's a more personalized thing, you know. And for me, and I know this is like beyond the scope of our conversation, it's like bridging that gap between like what information do I have and how much can I use technology and data to make a human decision, and, you know, and that's, you know, and, and that's what I like about what you guys are up to because the data is there. You can learn from it and you can use it, but making the leap between data and humanity, you know, that's a personal choice. And, you know, that's something that, you know, we can only encourage, but we can't, you know, force on people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you mentioned Roger Federer and I just did a, a quick audience analysis, you know, while we were talking here and, uh, and you brought up unique low and it's like, if you look at his audience against a unique baseline, uh, you know, 69% male, uh, he's got, uh, an abnormal amount of millennial followers on Twitter, 75%, 17% Gen X. And then you look at their different interests that we've broken down here. I mean, it, it, there's fashion, there's, and of course there's sports, you know, tennis and all that stuff. But it's looking at like what is unique, where are these different data endpoints. So they did their own analysis to understand like that deal was worth the money that they were putting into. And, and that example with DC Brow is absolutely a great one as well. But if you're understanding that you've got a large Gen Z audience that is approaching 21, you know, maybe it's a sort of understanding like what are their different interests that might be. Or if you're seeing that there's people sharing content with a photo of their babies, right? Those people that are new parents, they have certain interests. Um, so it's like certain car companies, they understand that if you show an indication that you, you just had a child, well, you're eventually going to need a car seat. You're eventually if, – if you show that you have multiple children, then you're eventually going to need a larger car. I mean it's it's starting to look at uh, – and I love what you said. It's sort of like applying that a, a human overlay on top of the data that you're pulling through. What is that story that the data is telling you about these people? And then how can you best – uh, provide these people the service that they're looking for and go above and beyond so that they return every time. Uh, you know, the data is there. It, it's a simply a matter of just paying attention to it. And I feel like you said, you know, a lot of people, they look at this data and they, they just say, just give me the numbers. It's not about the numbers. It's about the story that the data is telling you. And then how can you architect that experience with strategy to make sure that they're having a great one? Yeah, and, and a story, I think, storytelling is a good place to, you know, to, to end this because I feel like we could go on for days um, because storytelling and data probably opens up a second podcast that hopefully we'll have a chance to do uh, in the near future. Um, but how can I, where can I point people if they want to find out more about you and Zoomf? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's just Zoomf.com, Z-O-O-M-P-H. Uh, come engage with us at social. I'm at Zenozi on Twitter, Z-O-N-O-Z-I, on uh, all social platforms. But happy to continue the conversation and uh, would love to see different ways that people are using data to make this, uh, you know, the analysis and hypothesis that they are. You know, we, we were kind of pointing out a lot of examples how people aren't doing that. But there's some really fascinating ways. We're, we've been working with some great organizations uh, using this data to to do some really cool projects, and so uh, while we've been kind of you know shaking the finger at you know we need to start using data more.
more. Um, there are some great uh, examples. You know, we've got a client like Wasserman. They're, that agency, they've been using data in really powerful ways. And so I'd love to hear, I'd love to talk and, and you know, continue the conversation online. Yeah, no, and, you know, the, fortunately for me, I'm not Mark Marin, so I don't have you on for just one big sit down. We can, you can come back whenever you want. We can talk about the Wasserman example and using storytelling and positive approaches because hopefully um, pointing out some of the stuff we pointed out today will open up people's eyes and give them a little bit more of a sense of the possibility that's created by data. Because, I mean, yeah, if, if we did sound a little bit pessimistic on what people are doing, I hope that didn't come across because I actually think, you know, the possibilities are limitless. It's just a matter of being thoughtful about it. And that's, you know, for me, usually the big challenge is like helping people see the possibilities so that they can act thoughtfully. Yeah, no, and uh, I would love to. I mean, this is, uh, I've had a lot of fun uh, chatting with you today, and we always have a great time really going uh, a little bit deeper than the superficial level of the conversations in sports. And uh, that's why I'm a listener of your podcast, and I'd love to join you again. All right. Well, thank you for being here, uh, and I really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'd like to thank Amir Zanozi for coming on the podcast today. I hope you dug the conversation as much as I did. Again, you can always find me at www.davewakeman.com, where I blog daily. You can also follow me on Twitter. That's at davidwakeman.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. And if you're so inclined, you can get my weekly newsletter on value, marketing, strategy, all of that stuff by sending me an email with the su- with newsletter in the subject line to my email address, which is dave at davewakeman.com where you can also email me with any ideas, questions, concerns, thoughts, feedback, whatever it is you want to say. Questions, answers, I don't care. Just, you know, reach out. I'm cool with that. And if you like the podcast, do me a favor. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. And if you're really feeling ambitious, maybe subscribe. Share it with a friend. Whatever. You know that I appreciate all your support. And until next time... Take it easy.